Our first scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. It reads, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that is Jesus, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the, God, the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Our second scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It reads, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all of the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let me share a few quotes with you, and you see if you can identify who said them or said that quote or wrote, wrote that quote. Go ahead and put it in the chat if you know or say out loud to somebody else at the house. Here's one. I have a dream today. Martin Luther King. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. John Kennedy. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. You may not know that one. Eleanor Roosevelt. Here's one. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. That one's Maya Angelou. And one more. There is no holiness without social holiness. I'm hoping we had a lot of typed John Wesley's there. You may have heard that some point in your life, and that sentence has been attributed to John Wesley. It's written in one of his books about, uh, that starts with hymns and poems. Certainly sounds like something he would have said, but what did he really mean by that? It's like that old game of grapevine where everybody gets in a circle and one person tells a story, whispers it to the person next to them, and then that person takes the story and tells the person next to them and whispers it and are on around the circle so that by the time you're done, it comes back, well, something a little less than garbled of what was original. Sometimes we really need to dig into what a quote or what a saying or what a theme or a mean really means, means before we can speak it again. In the, case of the, in the case of all of these, the story is much more than the accuracy of a quote. The story has context and intent and even emotion, all of which combine to tell the story so that we can share the meaning. One sentence, one quote might remind us of an event, but to truly understand 
what a speaker is saying, what they're telling us, what a writer is emphasizing, we have to see the bigger picture. My name is Kathy Sweeney. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Arapahoe United Methodist Church. We welcome you here. As we continue our sermon series on resurrecting faith, today we'll be talking about social holiness. What does it mean? How does Scripture and our faith inform that context? What our faith tells us, what our faith tradition says about it, and what it means to us today. Social holiness. What do we mean by that? Maybe we should start by understanding what John Wesley meant about that. It's two words, social holiness. Social is the easier of the two, probably uh, something that you talk about quite a bit. Social is a word for togetherness, for community, sharing with each other, social. The harder of the two words is holiness. I think that might be because there's a tendency for us to think of holiness in terms of holier than thou. You know what I mean. I'm holier than you because I attend church. I'm holier than you because I read the Bible every day. I'm holier than you. Well, you finish the thought. But that's not what Wesley meant by holiness. Sure, he did mean set apart, but the apart from was based on our love of God and our response to God's gift of grace. Here's what he was saying in a nutshell. Wesley taught that each of us is loved by God, and there's nothing we can do about it. I first heard that from a former senior pastor of Arapahoe, Jack, Jack Soper. He was paraphrasing in a very short way the Scripture in Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're loved by God and there's nothing you can do about it. And at some point, many of us have said, okay, there's something to that, I agree, but what does it mean to me? How do I respond to that understanding that God loves me? How do I respond to that gift of God's grace? How do I build a relationship with this loving God? Wesleyan theology is built on this. It's a theology of grace, not a theology of a fear of a God who punishes our wrongdoings, not a theology of being perfect in everything we do or face the consequences when we die, but a theology and understanding that people are inherently good. Sure, we're going to make mistakes during our lives, but that we are, in fact, holy because God made us in God's image, and we can't be separated from that. That's holiness. It's who we are. And Wesley shared that we experience grace. We experience holiness in two ways, personally and corporately, individually and socially, not one or the other, both. And that holiness is based on the gospel. Holiness is both individual and social. There's no holiness without social holiness. Yes, that's included in the preface to one of his books, but let's hear what he actually wrote. You see it here on the screen. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social. 
No holiness, but social holiness. Faith, working by love, is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. In other words, Wesley believed that we can't be holy on our own. That when we decide that we will live our lives based on the teachings and life of Christ, well, basically we can't help but be social. We can't grow in relationship with God without being part of a community, a part of this big, big world, a part of learning experiences of our own and of others. We can't love only on a personal level. Sure, we grow personally in our relationship with God, that happens, but we can't do that even without each other's help and perspective and experiences. Our first scripture reading today shared how we do that. The scripture shares that Jesus taught us about being witnesses to the love of God in the world. The scripture is called the greatest commandment, and it lends scriptural support to Wesley's concepts of personal and social holiness. Which commandment is the greatest? The Pharisees asked Jesus. They were trying to trap him into narrowing everything down just to one thing, just to one. One commandment, one quote, let's say, to sum up all of the commandments. But as we learned at the beginning, one quote can be taken way too far. So Jesus wouldn't do that. Because you see, our holiness can't be separated from our personal and social. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. They're both needed, the law and the prophets, the law and prophetic wisdom. Love God, love neighbor. That's what Jesus teaches us, inseparable, just like personal and social holiness. To bifurcate personal and social holiness is to separate something that, according to Wesley, is inseparable. Jesus taught the same. In other words, to bifurcate love of God from love of neighbor is not living the truth of the gospel story. There's another question that comes out of social holiness discussions, though. If Wesley was really saying that we can't grow our relationship with God only personally, that we must also do that socially with others, as in community worship, small group study, fellowship over a meal, because that's the basis of what he was saying, what then does that have to do with loving God and loving neighbor? What I'm getting at here is whether social holiness and social justice are the same thing, or are they just related? What do you think? Are they? Well, here's what I think. I think our practice of social holiness leads us to act in ways that are loving toward our neighbor, and that leads us to social justice. Reverend John McMaster is a United Methodist minister. Here's what he said to bring this together. The task for contemporary Methodists is still to develop a great social ethic of scriptural holiness. 
that we need to bring what Wesley has said, bring what Christ said about love of neighbor and love of God into the current time and apply those lessons to where we are today. Just because we're gathering in groups to worship and to study, is that really loving our neighbor when the group is comprised only of persons who are exactly like us? What kind of a social ethic am I presenting if I'm only accepting those who act and think like I do? What kind of a social ethic tells that building up our community, building up our neighborhood, the houses, with only individuals who follow our line of thinking, who never challenge us to find how each person's story is a story of God's love and grace, that social ethic is neither holy nor loving nor biblical. And here's what our, where our second strip scripture comes in. That holiness that we've been talking about, there's something new that's created out of that. When we gather to talk about Scripture, when we worship God, when we share a meal, there's a candle that's lit, an idea, a spark. We've heard it said before, a nudge. And we can't stop the Spirit lighting up something that's in each side of us. And when one candle is lit, it's going to be spread. How do we know that? Because of the Scripture. A light on a hill cannot be hidden. When a candle is lit, we acknowledge it. We put it on a stand or on the porch in our yard, and it brings light to the room or to the porch or to the neighborhood. It says, we are here with you. When we grow in social holiness, the candle lights the room, the world, and forces us to see each person's worth, each person's dignity, each person's challenges, and helps us to grow in empathy so that we respond by sharing that light and hope of Christ with everyone. Some of us are going to do that through words and proclamation and advocacy, like Martin Luther King did when he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. A single candle, the words of one man that lit us up to hold fast to God's call for equality. Love God, love neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, a single candle, the words of one man that spread throughout the world to remind us that our neighbors are not just those we pick and choose to live on our street. Our neighbors aren't the ones who can afford to buy the house next to ours, keeping our neighborhood in a certain socioeconomic status. Our neighbors are also the ones who struggle to put a roof above their head. That's where the candle lights the way for us into the world, to see and be with others who are needing that light. Your candle is shining when twice a month a group gathers at Doby Pre-K to help Network of Community Ministries distribute boxes of food, about 2,000 pounds last month, to families who struggle to put a meal on their table for their family. The candlelight is carried in each car that drives to Austin Street Center with breakfast food that is collected on a Saturday afternoon to feed those experiencing homelessness 
and who are spending the night in a community facility that provides a safe place for them to sleep. That candle is lit here at Arapahoe across the state of Texas. It's needed to shine a light at the atrocious legislation that is being presented in Austin, legislation that strips individuals of their voice, that gives more power to those within a certain zip code, or restricts the rights of those reliant on public transportation. The light shines when we speak out against it. Your candle brings light to others when it's literally dark and cold and wet. In February, during the long week of bitter cold and busted pipes, our intern, Shayla, that you met earlier, was flooded out of her house where she's a resident advisor for a fraternity there. She lost almost everything. But your candle shone brightly to remind her that she isn't alone, that we were here to help, that we love her, and through the generosity of many, including this church, she has been able to furnish a newly assigned apartment, not perfectly, but well enough to get her through the semester and graduate on time next week. Your candle has lifted the spirits of families dealing with health challenges. The candle lights the way when we share a meal with our friends at Dallas Dialogue, an institute that respects traditions and shares with us during Ramadan, while learning more about how God is at work within each of our lives in each of our faith traditions. A candle is lit as a response to social holiness, social holiness that starts a conversation and ends in acts of love for each other. Our lives are a single candle, but that single candle shines across a lifetime as we love God and love our neighbor. So Arapahoe, which I include as anyone watching this, not just Richardson, across the world, shine on Arapaho, and let God be the match that lights the flame. May it ever be so.